to do is we have to make sure you experiment on the blockchain. And that's what really stuck with me. Those words exactly experiment on the blockchain. And so with me and with a lot of artists, I think we get into this um, headspace where we're sitting there and we're like, we want the perfect release. We want the perfect thing. We want to experiment, but we want to experiment at home alone where nobody can see it so we don't fail in public. And we don't want and we don't want to experiment in open eyes. The blockchain is the exact opposite of that. The blockchain is the public, it's the public space. Everybody in the world can see your experiment. And there was just something about that model that really stuck with me. This idea that, like, hey, you can sit here all you want and think about what you would do on the blockchain and think up cool things, but if you never put them out there, it doesn't matter. So why not experiment on the very blockchain itself? Welcome back to Your Voice First podcast. Today's guest is Khalil Newton, a digital creator who's packing up his studio and moving it from Web 2 over to Web 3. We discuss the different incentive models for creators who produce on Web 2 platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube versus creators who produce on Web 3 platforms like OpenSea, Odyssey, and Decentraland. We touch on tools creators can use to monetize on-chain, as well as some of the challenges creators and collectors face in the Web3 economy, and touch on potential solutions. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the show, Khalil. Hey, hey, glad to be here. Glad to be here. I wanted to kick off the show with a quote from DJ and entrepreneur, the guy who founded Royal, the blockchain NFT music streaming company. So Blau says, if you're an artist experimenting with Web3 and tokenization today, you're shaping the future for the next generation of creatives and empowering them to succeed. Now, I know in the last couple of weeks, you dropped your first collection of NFTs. And I just wanted to use this as an opportunity to congratulate you for running these on-chain experiments. There's not too many people, musicians especially out there, that are not only putting their own music on, but after an, an art on the blockchain. But I've heard that you've been also talking with a lot of your fans. And I'm sure we'll get into that later. But just wanted to congratulate you on your NFT drop and, and say you are pioneering the way for other musicians and artists to follow. Wow, man. I really appreciate that, honestly. Um, it's been one heck of a ride, if we're going to be completely honest. Um, it's really interesting as somebody who came into this art world during the rise of social media to see this new frontier ahead of us that comes with NFTs. Um, as a creative, one thing that I've been telling people a lot recently is that I probably got more of a ROI, a return of investment, on posting my things to the blockchain in a couple of weeks that I did from posting to social media for years, if we're being honest. And part of that was this idea of ownership. Um, so Seeking Closure is the name of the collection. It Right now, it rests at about three pieces. They are visual poems, which are very emotional and very, um, let's say, vulnerable, if we're being honest. And it was cool to be able to put those posts. It, it was cool to be able to put those pieces up and be able to actually engage with people who like the pieces and be able to sell them to people because at the end of the day, it created this sense of ownership within the community. And that was really cool. And it was really fun. And like you say, yeah, I have talked to a lot of friends about it. Um, I've been able to get a couple other friends on the blockchain recently, which is always really fun. And I've been able to just help foster other experiments. And it's really great to be able to experiment on the blockchain. And let's dive deeper into that first 
first collection. So you said it's a collection of three pieces. Are those each one of ones? Are they multiple editions? So actually, to be honest, right now, each one is five of them. So there's five verse, there's five copies of each one that one can buy, though only three are on the market for each of them. So technically, there's about 15 copies. Wait, my math is off. There's nine copies that are on the market right now. Well, they were on the market. And then you held back an extra six copies in your own inventory that are not for sale right now? Yep, two copies of each. So, yeah, six. Yep, there's six other copies that are in my inventory that I just wanted to keep for later down the line process. Um, Maybe for gifts eventually, or maybe just so that I can hold a couple of them. Because honestly, one of the weird things you realize when you're creating these NFTs is that maybe you want to hold some of your pieces too. Maybe you like having your pieces in your wallet. Maybe you like to have your own ownership of it too. So yeah, I have a couple of my own and there's a couple out there. Um, Of the nine, so far I've been able to sell four of them, which has been really dope. Um, It's been cool to see the engagement that comes with them. It's been cool just to see the... um, just, just to have the conversations about what this technology could offer and and what it means to have these pieces up and what it means to have digital ownership of assets. Digital ownership is is something I think you've a mental model around Web three that you've really pushed, and it's it's something that I remember retweeting from you a week or so back. And I I find it interesting that you did come into this with such a heavy presence on social media. Does how, how how does it feel as an artist to instead of trading your art for likes and comments and reshares to be trading it and then getting Ethereum back? <laughs> it feels great, honestly, um, especially because if we're being honest, one of the main things I focused on while creating the piece was to have as low of a barrier to entry with it as possible. So if we're being completely honest, um, the Ethereum's dope, even though it might not technically be a lot of Ethereum I'm getting back. It's cool to just have these um, it's cool to just have Ethereum and know that, hey, if I trace this on the blockchain, you can see that this came from this account and this is somebody who supports me out there in this in this metaverse, in this world that's expanding. There's so-and-so, maybe they're on the West Coast or maybe it's so-and-so out down South. And, like, it's just cool to have these pieces out there and have it done like that. Um, yeah. And we already talked about the inspiration a little bit behind your first on-chain collection. Um, yeah, was can, there any reason actually... that you picked that that collection in particular? Like, I, I find a lot of artists kind of struggle with their first release and they'll push back on wanting to publish their NFT. They say, oh, I want to do like a specific drop and they want to make their Genesis drop on the blockchain really important. Um, was Was it pretty easy for you to pick the first collection that you wanted to be on-chain? Oh, no. It was so hard to pick the first collection. I knew I wanted something that was already a work that had been out there. So Seeking Closure had been out there in digital form for a couple months before it was put onto the blockchain. Um, I was being completely honest. I had a couple of videos that I wanted to do, but because of technical difficulties with OpenSea, the videos were a little too big. Um, So I decided to put something a little smaller for the first release, something a little more more easily digestible. it's weird because those pieces are so vulnerable. There's one in particular that people kind of gravitate towards. Um, the specific quote is, I had to get back on my meds to get over you. And mm-hmm. that's like a, and that was like a really vulnerable piece. And I don't know, there's something to me that I like about experimenting on the blockchain with radical vulnerability. And 
So those pieces, they meant something to me, and they meant something to people when they first dropped. So it was just, it was just a, a synergy of, hey, I'm going to experiment on the blockchain. I'm going to put up pieces that I want to affect you. And that's very emotional, very real, very honest. So let's see what people think about that. Um, what I want to do as an artist in the blockchain is I want to continue to create these pieces that can only exist because of how amalgamated the internet is. Those pieces would have never existed if it wasn't for the for my ability to create these digital pieces that can both be emotional and look interesting, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I it I've noticed that you are very um you're very diversified in your exposure to Web three. You haven't just like put all of your eggs in one basket on Web three and said. OpenSea is my only on-chain experiment. Like you've gone out to a decentralized YouTube and published your videos out there. You've minted stuff on OpenSea. You're also exploring some of these open worlds like uh, Decentraland and just kind of curious of like, how's the exploration down the rabbit hole been going for you? Like what, is there anything fueling this journey or just like, where are you looking right now? What are the different parts of Web3 that you're playing around in? Oh, man, I could go on for a half an hour about that question. I'll try to keep it short. <laughs> um, well, before we even go down into digging into the rabbit hole, I first must admit that, Pat, you were the person who gave me the motto that I've been working with ever since. And the thing you told me in conversation was that what you have to do is you have to make sure you experiment on the blockchain. And that's what really stuck with me. Those words exactly experiment on the blockchain and so with me and with a lot of artists i think we get into this um headspace where we're sitting there and we're like we want the perfect release we want the perfect thing we want to experiment but we want to experiment at home alone where nobody can see it so we don't fail in public and we don't want and we don't want to experiment in open eyes the blockchain is the exact opposite of that the blockchain is the public it's the public space everybody in the world can see your experiment and there was just something about that model that really stuck with me this idea that like hey you can sit here all you want and think about what you would do on the blockchain and think up cool things but if you never put them out there it doesn't matter so why not experiment on the very blockchain itself so like you said yeah seeking closures on open sea um i started i've started to put a couple pieces up on odyssey another platform like you said kind of a decentralized youtube um, I have a couple of short films up there right now, which I'm trying to, you know, get a little traction for, see what people like. One's a music video, one's this really personal conversation about being a bigger guy that I thought was really cool. Again, these pieces were also on my Instagram, and I'm trying to kind of populate Web3 with some of my more put-together pieces before I experiment exclusively in Web3. But yeah, there's something about just experimenting on the, on the blockchain and being part of the cycle. Um, one of the other things you brought up was these metaverses. I'm very interested in the metaverse, if we're being honest. Um, if you ask me, I actually say the metaverse started with Zoom in, t- in 2020. That's probably where the metaverse really became a thing, at least in my mind. That's where we started meeting in actual public internet spaces. And I only think the evolution of that will be things like the Central Land, will be things like um, the Sandbox. Will be will be platforms like that where they're creating these worlds and you're able to meet up with friends across the world in these worlds, especially during things like lockdown. That could be so important. Let's talk quick definitions for people that that have never done anything on Web three. And both of us have a lot of artists and musician friends that probably have been asking and talking to you about it. And you might have dropped some of these names, but let's just 
quickly kind of from your perspective, instead of like reading from their website, from the perspective of a creator, what would you say, how does, how does OpenSea fit, fit in your tool belt as a creator and an artist? Well, for me as a creator, OpenSea is a marketplace. It's like, it's like one of the first times as a creator, you've been able to put out content and have somebody directly support you without having to go through too many middlemen. Yes, OpenSea takes a little fee at the end of the day, a fee that you can adjust, but you're still creating, it's still this digital marketplace where people are able to buy your assets. And to be completely honest, as a creator who's never made a print, selling those pieces were my first time selling something that resembles a print. And it felt to me like I was going to a show or going to an actual marketplace and I brought out a stand and it feels like you place your stand on the internet. And you're like, hey, this is what I have. This is what I work on. This is what I do. If you want to support, buy a piece. Uh, tell your friends. Uh, send your friend a piece if you want to. If that piece really speaks to you. It's stuff like that. And that, that that's perfect, perfect demonstration. How about Odyssey? Odyssey is something you introduced to me and I am still just learning about it. What is Odyssey? So Odyssey is a decentralized video sharing platform. Though you can share other things other than videos. It's mostly videos. It's backed by the library token, which is um, not to get too heady into it, but which is another type of cryptocurrency that's really big on transferring data. And it's this idea of creating this place where there's a decentralized video sharing platform. Um, I don't know how heavy everybody's got into it, but we're going to talk about it. These platforms that we're using right now, such as YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, these platforms are first centralized, which means that there's a big, over, there's a big oversight by a company um, Odyssey obviously has their own company as well, but but the, but the interesting thing about Odyssey is that everything is on the blockchain, and they're way less focused on censorship. They're way less focused on 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 deciding the curation that's on their platform, which I find interesting. Um, if we're being honest, it's hard for a small artist to get any type of traction on any of these platforms. It's hard to put something on YouTube and get views because there's billions of people using YouTube. And not only are there billions of people, but there's government interests, there's um, there's corporate interests, there's prioritization for these bigger corporate releases. There's all these things you're fighting against. While for Odyssey, you might be fighting against some of those same things, but one of the cool things is you get paid in the token. You get paid in library for views and for plays and for follows and stuff like that. And so does your consumer. The people who have accounts and they're watching content on Odyssey, they're also getting paid in that cryptocurrency. Um, Odyssey is just one of the many platforms that are like this I want to experiment on moving forward but they were the first one I started using like I said I put a couple pieces on there got a couple views I'm thinking about putting some more stuff up on there um, to be completely honest right now I'm not fully on web 3 and not and not just web 2 so a lot of my channels are kind of mixing the two and I'm putting things on Instagram and then promoting it to Odyssey and back and forth but yeah Odyssey is a really cool platform to kind of see what the next generation of YouTube will be. Okay, so OpenSea is a very straightforward monetization for a creator. You post something on the marketplace, you set up your stand, you sell a thing, and then you get that money directly to you that's coming from the buyer. And it sounds like monetization on Odyssey is similar to YouTube, where you're getting paid out for views and other interaction with your content. Um, what's, what's that payout timeline like? Uh, like, have you already gotten any payouts or is it once a month? Is it instantly in a view? Do you have to, I think on YouTube, you need a certain threshold of subscribers to be able to start monetizing. Is it the same over on Odyssey? 
I mean, if we're going to be completely honest, I haven't checked it in a while. So I'm not too sure exactly what the payout's like. Um, I'm not too interested in getting paid just yet for for lots of these works. I haven't been too invested on it. But honestly, I'm trying to um, find this just because I'm not focused on the pay yet. I have seen a breakdown about the differences between Odyssey's pay rate, pay rate and the pay rate of things like YouTube and other platforms. So let me see if I can find this for you. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's um, maybe uh, while you're looking, yeah. if you maybe can talk about Decentraland. So that's kind of like, I haven't played around in many of these worlds, but how, how would you define Decentraland from the perspective of a creator? Decentraland feels like a playground, man. It feels like it feels like this open world where you can really explore. So for those who don't know, Decentraland is what you call a metaverse. Um, for those who don't know what a metaverse is, think about meeting places for people in the virtual world. So Decentraland is almost like a Sims or a GTA, but it's all based on the blockchain, specifically the Ethereum blockchain. To go even more specific, it's built on Mana. Um, yeah, it's built on Mana. I might... Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's also a second one that's built on as well as Meta. But Meta is the major one that it's built on. And um, so, yeah, with the Central Land, you kind of enter this world. You're with the Avatar. You you can run around. You can visit art. You can visit cool art museums that have like NFTs up. They had a festival in there a week or two ago where there was live music. You can hang out with your friends. You can buy clothing, which is so interesting to me. Buying clothing for your avatar. That's something that I want to actually get into. I want to create clothing for the future for the future avatars that we will be exploring the internet with. And Decentraland seems like one of those first platforms to try it with. There's also real estate on there, which is mind-boggling. Like you can literally buy real estate in the digital world now because of this uh, because of Web3 and this creation of digital ownership. And so there's just all these really cool ways you can um, kind of create and live and meet with your friends and meet random people, meet strangers across the world and have chats about how cool the blockchain is, how cool games are becoming even. This, this kind of reminds me of when I was young and I used to not be allowed to play video games except if I woke up early. So I'd, I'd wake up early. And then I'd go downstairs and I'd play RuneScape before school, before I'd have to go to like grade school and high school. I'd wake up and I'd play RuneScape. But today, none of the assets I owned in RuneScape, I really got to keep. So I want to drop in a Decentraland quote now. Uh, this is from Decentraland six days ago, and Decentraland tweeted out, All 0x Polygon wearables are now available to be listed, bought, and transferred on OpenSea. View the collection here. And then they've got a link to Decentraland's OpenSea collection on Polygon. And so that makes me think these wearables that you're talking about, I could potentially buy and sell those on OpenSea. Um, so is that kind of how creators you see monetizing? Is it mostly through wearables? Or like if a creator's thinking of potentially opening up a shop in Decentraland, uh, how would that be different from, I, I don't know how much you know about RuneScape, but how would it be different from like a Web2 game if they opened up a shop for their art on Decentraland? Well, it, it's different in so many ways. The first way is that you don't have to get hired by the company creating the game to work on creating assets within that game. So so for Decentraland specifically, 
you have to submit to a board if you want to make wearables. You have to submit to a board your wearable, which has to be interactive with the um, with the technology. So they're going to test it out. Um, there is a barrier to entry. Last I heard, right now it's five hundred meta, but the D, but the DAO, the DAO of the, of Decentraland has just moved a new thing to where they're going to make it five hundred dollars instead of five hundred meta. So that's basically from two thousand USD to five hundred USD. Still a big, still a big barrier for sure. But you have, but that is like basically the only barrier towards doing it. You have to have the creation side of it and know what you're doing when it comes to creating these 3D models, and then you have to have the five hundred dollars up front. But once you, but once you pay that five hundred, if you get listed, you can sell those items for however much you want. And just like any other NFT, you can decide if it's a one of one, one of fifty, one of five hundred thousand, if you want to. So you can literally create so many different things when it comes to the assets. Um, if I was a creator, there's several different ways I would say looking at the central line. One, wearables. Those are so dope. If you want to design fashion, man, let's talk about how this takes away barriers to entry. Yeah, you're paying $500 to get in, but imagine how many hundreds and thousands of dollars you're paying to start a fashion line before you even sell your first piece of clothing. And now you're able to create fashion. You're able to create these cool 3D renderings of dresses and skirts and jackets. And you can you can have things light up. You can create holographic things on top of your overlays. You can do all these things and have this new world of fashion right there within the central end. So fashion is one of them. Um, like I said earlier, there's art museums where people have NFTs. Um, think about their digital house you build on something like a Decentraland or even even whatever meta becomes. You can have these these houses of your own. Of course, you're gonna want some NFTs on the wall. Um, you can put you can you can have you can have shows if you're a musician. You can do concerts in in Decentraland. And you can do stuff like that. So there's so many different ways. Just and you know we're at the very beginning of it. I'm not too familiar with RuneScape, but I'm, I'm pretty sure RuneScape was in its beta and when it was being tested. I'm pretty sure it would probably look way different than what you were playing as a kid. And imagine where we're at with Decentraland. We're at the beta. We're at the beta. The beta. Um, still, we're still testing it out. We're still figuring out what these what these games are. Um, not just Decentraland, but these other games. These play to earn games specifically are a new platform that I think are incredible, and I think that have a lot of promise for the consumer and for the gamer. So we're just we're still at the beginning, and as a creative, I think the best thing a creative can have is a blank sheet of paper or open canvas or 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 a studio if you're a musician with with the open beat you know what i mean like like we're, we're at the beginning of everything and everything's so open you have to figure out what you want to do and then you have to look for the platforms that are doing it super interesting to hear you kind of compare someone starting up a fashion company like both of us had friends that are old co-working space that had fashion companies and all of that has a lot of startup costs. One, if you're going to formalize the business, you got to pay the money for an LLC. Then you got to buy the actual equipment. You're going to have to set up a relationship with a printing company. Then you're paying all the expenses to actually print. You're going to pay a designer to design it. And like every single time a shirt gets printed, you're paying and that's taking out of your profit. And $500 sounds like a lot, but as soon as you pay it, it sounds like then every time a shirt gets printed, it's there's no cost to you as an artist and it totally changes an infrastructure. And then it sounds like it creates an opportunity for up and coming entrepreneurs that are in high school or college, or even if, if they've been out as an adult for a while, just to like say, okay, do I want to build this business in the physical world or do I want to set up shop in a metaverse? And it sounds like it's becoming more and more possible to just avoid all the costs that come with doing physical goods, like the lack of sustainability, the wasteful resources, the 
the lost uh, earnings and you can just skip all that and do it all in the metaverse. And so I'm curious next, like how are artists responding when you present this to them? Like to me and to you, we get it and it's exciting and we're diving kind of head, head deep into the metaverse and we're running all these on-chain transactions and it makes sense. It clicks for us. But when you're talking to other creators and artists about it, does it click for them or like, is, is it different for new artists that you talk to? So it clicks for them, but for being completely honest, just because it clicks doesn't mean it works. And one of the things I want to highlight is that there's still barriers to entry to Web3 when it comes to lots of creators, especially creators who come from lower socioeconomic status and background. So yes, it clicks. And this idea of this virtual world makes sense. But man, there's a lot of friction. There's a lot of friction when it comes from, hey, I want to create on Web3 to, hey, I'm creating a Web3. Um, you know, something as simple as figuring out a wallet figuring out how to use MetaMask, figuring out how to put a network into your MetaMask so you're able to do things on the, on the Polygon blockchain. Those things are hard. That took me, myself, a couple of days, if we're being completely honest. And I have friends who I've had several meetings with now, and they know they want to work on the blockchain. They know they want to do something in Web3, but they're still having difficulties figuring out how to move their assets over, how to get in touch, how to figure out how to get on Discord, because Discord is a big thing with Web3. Discord is a huge part of Web3. If you ask me, Discord is more important to Web3 than social media. And 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 if for somebody who's coming from social media, if somebody who, who kind of skipped out on the chat room phase of the internet, it's, it's a barrier. It's a barrier. So lots of these artists are hitting their heads against the wall. And if you ask me, we have to hope that these platforms get rid of some of that friction if we want to see mass adapt adaptation by artists. So yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the challenges artists have to go through when it comes to things like these. So now I, I, I hear that there's a challenge and my builder mind lights up and says, that's an opportunity for me to build something or for some entrepreneur to build a new company. And so I'm curious, how do you, how do you envision over the next three to five years that those barriers to entry get lowered? Do you, do you think that they'll just kind of be left out and they're going to be excluded? Do you think it's like actual builders need to build tools that make it easier and more behind the scenes to do things like spinning up a wallet or is it more just yeah. on the education side and like us having calls with each other and helping each other out and like just onboarding our friends? I think for mass adaptation, I think for mass adaptation of, um, of web3 technology we need to minimize how much actual interaction the user has with the blockchain and i know that might sound contra contrary to popular belief about how great this blockchain technology is but for being completely honest when you swipe your visa card you don't think at all about what's going on with the visa transactions you're not thinking at all about the technology behind it all you're doing is knowing that what you're doing gets done what you want to get done and I think right now, a lot of what's going on with Web3 is we're still, as a user, seeing a lot of the interface with our own very eyes. Uh, one of the cool things about MetaMask I learned recently was that MetaMask really made it a clickable thing to be able to, to, be able to interact with the blockchain. And um, those barriers are going to have to keep going down. Another thing is, you know, we're going to have to educate people because at the end of the day, I've had people I know try to put up NFTs on the Ethereum blockchain and they're getting hit by gas fees. They're getting hit by that barrier when people are trying to buy their NFTs because people can't pay gas fees right now. And all it would take is just a little education about Polygon, but that little education is kind of hard to come by if you're, if you're brand new to the blockchain. If you're coming from Web 2 to Web 3 and everything's brand new to you, 
it's, it feels like trying to drink out of a water hose. Mm-hmm. Oh, for the page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So at, at Mint Songs, we're about to release a new feature for musicians and we decided we wanted to make it gas free. We didn't want musicians and fans when they come and interact with this new feature to have to worry about fees. And so when musicians come uh, to use the new feature and fans come to use the new feature, there's no wallet sign in. There's just one field and it's an email field. And when musicians and fans enter in their email, it'll check our database and then it'll see, oh, okay, do have they already connected a wallet? Um, if they have connected a wallet, we'll mint the NFT and we'll send it to them behind the scenes. Mint songs will pay all the gas. So you don't actually have to sign a transaction. We, we pay all the gas behind the scenes. And if they don't have a wallet with us, we use a technology called Magic Link that sends an email to their inbox. Um, when they click approve in their inbox, it provisions a new wallet behind the scenes. The user has no idea that a wallet was spun up. And then once we get that address back from Magic Link, we mint and send that NFT to the user. And so it's entirely just email based. And you saying this makes me feel like we're making the right move to like separate the user from the actual blockchain transaction. Nowhere in that feature are they going to sign a transaction. They're not interacting. They don't know that they're interacting with the blockchain and it's all happening behind the scenes. So there's, I think, like two camps of people. There's like one camp that says, I want to be hands-on with everything that's going on the blockchain. The whole benefit of this is that we can push all approval and knowledge of what's going on to the end consumer. They should be approving and signing transactions with their wallet. They should be very hands-on. Don't obfuscate anything. Give everyone the responsibility and the power. And then I think there's the other group, which it sounds like you're in, which is like the goal is ease of use while leveraging a new touch stack. And it should feel just as easy to use Web2 as using Web3. But the big difference is the digital ownership. And like, that's the big thing that people should be interested in. Do you have any, anything else to stay on like that play between the two of being entirely Web3 and giving all responsibility to the end consumer or more of like a Web2 feel that is seamless and easier for the user to use, but they're a little bit more separated from the transactions they're making on the blockchain? I think the, mo- the least friction possible creates the widest ad- uh, the widest adaption possible adaptation adoption possible so i believe that i'm part of camp two and i think that it should just be easier the easier it is for me to use it the easier it is for me to use it and i'm going to use it more at the end of the day as a creator i love blockchain technology i love what's going on here but i'm not gonna lie to you man i am not a computer guy i i, I don't i don't work in that in that way so as a creator it's just the easier it is for me to work on something, the easier, the more I'm like, the more likely I am to do it. At the end of the day. And so for the last tweet I've got in the arsenal today, it's from Chris Dixon, who's one of the general partners over at uh, A16Z, a big investment firm of Web2. And they've also been investing in tons of companies here in Web3. So this is the quote from Chris. Web2 is built on advertising. Big companies like Facebook and Google make most of their money on advertising. And many Web2 startups build their customer base using advertising. And the reason I find this important is I'm I'm aware that like creatives and a lot of work that creatives do is kind of built within this cycle of, of advertising and making ads and marketing ads and selling ads. And then once an ad is clicked, getting 
optimizing the marketing and getting people in. And there's, there's like some of the, it's been said that a lot of the brightest minds in the world right now have been working on advertising for the past five. How creatives are just kind of how the whole ecosystem will change in web three. Do you think, do you think ads are going to move and we're just going to see ads in a different way on web three? Or do you think like, like, I don't know, how, how much would you like to say about kind of ads and, and how they'll change in Web3? Man, that is an interesting question. Um, I think advertising is the gift that's always going to be around. <laughs> like, you know, we live in a capitalist society. Advertising has been part of our culture for over 100 years at the end of the day. Maybe 200 if you track it, if you really track it back. Maybe 200 years of advertising if you really track it back. So I think advertising will definitely adapt to Web3. Um, but the question, how do you adapt advertising to Web3? I don't know just yet. For me as a creator, I'm doing most of my advertising for my Web3 experiments on Web2 platforms. So, so that's a big part of it. But I'm not too sure yet. If, I mean, I don't think we're, I think ads are going to be a thing, but I think we're probably about five, two years to a decade away from that. We have to, first, first we have to see what these metaverses are like. We have to see, we have to see if the metaverse becomes the new social media before we even think about how we incorporate advertising. But if you want to see what advertising is doing, you should look at the corporations that's buying land in the central land. You should look at Atari. You should look at um, things like that and how they have these spaces and they have buildings and plots of land and they're buying real estate. Maybe that's the new version of advertising is to have a stake in Web3 itself, if that makes sense. I'm not too sure, honestly, what advertising is going to look like, but I know it will be there. I want to uh, wrap this up with a couple quick fire questions for you, if, if that's okay. Completely okay. First question, who is a creator that you find is kind of a role model or an inspiration in the Web3 space? Someone that other artists can kind of gravitate to to kind of get their bearings on how the space is moving? Hmm. If we're being honest, I haven't found that yet. I'm still searching. Um... I found really cool things in Web3, but I have not yet found a creator that I can point to as like my Kanye of Web3 yet. Hmm. What would you say is your favorite tool as a creator, the, the, the best tool or the most useful tool that you've been using so far in the Web3 space? MetaMask. <laughs> MetaMask, for sure. I use, it to, I use it to search OpenSea. I use it when I'm thinking about mentioning NFT. I've used it to look up Mint songs. Like, MetaMask by far is my most powerful tool I've used so far. This one might not be a rapid fire and might be a little technical, but as as a creator, is there is there a, a blockchain that you have a preference towards in terms of like creating on and publishing your art on? Polygon. Whoa, does that does that make sense? Polygon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's a great yeah. answer. I use I use Polygon because I wanted to decrease gas fees. Um, like I said, I sell my NFTs for very cheap, and I want people to be able to buy them and be, for it to be affordable. So I use Polygon. And last question for you. What is something you're excited about in the Web3 space, either something that's already here or something that you want to have happen? What's something that's exciting you about the Web3 space? I am super excited for, for wearable fashion. I am su- I'm also excited for PFPs. Um, if you ask me, I think the PFP will be the first major adapt, ad, adoption of, of, of the NFT Web3 space by the average user. Um, so I'm super excited for PFPs. 
Um, I I remember a couple months ago being on Twitter and seeing all the non-accounts with their freaking PFPs. You don't know who they are. And I'm just like, oh, that's so cool. And I bought my first PFP and I made it my profile picture. And and every time I look at it, I'm like, that's so cool. I own that. That's a digital representation of me right there. And I think everybody will be having PFPs by the end of next year. By this time next year, I think everybody's going to have a PFP. And you're going to look like a grandpa if you have a picture of yourself on your profile. Like, like, at the end of the day, you want a cool digital representation because we're back in this we're back in this weird space with the web where everything's brand new and we're able to do what we want. So PFPs and wearables are my two favorite things right now. I want to double click on that because uh, I I feel like a lot of people when they say there's an NFT bear market right now, they're they're often referring to the PFPs and people dropping. 10,000 NFTs, they're all generated on chain. And like a couple of them were unique. You had CryptoPunks, you had Board Ape Yacht Club. And then from there, you just kept getting more and more and more. And it, there was an argument for scarcity at first. But at this point, there's there's so many of these different profile pick projects. But but you didn't buy from one of the one of 10,000 profile pick project. You got yours from a local artist that you knew that made a one of one PFP for you. So I'm kind of curious when when you're excited about PFPs, is there a difference between the like the collections of 10,000 that are existing and coming up versus talking to a local artist and kind of getting a one-of-one PFP made kind of custom for you or buying a one-of-one from a collector's set? I think, see, I'm not in it to flip a profit when it comes to PFPs. Um, I'm not going to lie to you, though. I want a board ape. I want a board ape. I've looked at several of them and I've said, damn, I want that. <laughs> so I won't sit here and act like I wouldn't buy a board ape if I had the money. I would definitely buy a board ape. But no, yeah, I bought my PFP from Kahan. He's a great artist. You can you can find his PFPs at pfp.ksb on OpenSea. So if you want to check out his PFPs, definitely go do it. Um, like you said, he's a local artist. This wasn't this wasn't randomly generated, so he spent like lots of time and effort creating each image from there. And um, yeah, I find I find it really cool to have a one of one. There's not any PFPs out there that kind of look like mine. And yeah, man, it's really cool. I, I actually bought another PFP recently um, from another guy, Topsoil on 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 OpenSea. He's another local artist who's creating PFPs and he's creating music. And literally, yeah, it feels cool to buy these smaller projects to work into and to be able to support their art because at the end of the day when i'm when i'm when i'm holding a, a Kahan pfp on my profile picture that's me supporting his art that's a signal that say hey i bought this i own this you should buy one too so yeah this just feels really cool to have like these smaller projects um but I, I am looking at buying a couple bigger pfps too for people that want to find you on web3 in, in particular how can people find your your art on web3 Ah, that's a good question. That's a good question. Well, honestly, if you want to find my street, as with all my other um, internet outlets right now, it's just my name, Khalil Newton. So you can go to OpenSea.com. You look up Khalil Newton. Um, you'll find it. Actually, let me double check that as we speak to make sure that it pulls up like that. <laughs> we'll talk more after, and I'll get all of your links, and I'll post them in the, the show notes. So if you're listening to this episode, open up the show notes. Check out Khalil's links. Check out the art that he's building. I'm sure, I'm sure he'd love to reach out and talk to anybody. But Khalil, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It has been such an energizing time talking with you. Thank you for having me, man. Have a good, have a good Thanksgiving, Pat.
Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Khalil. Check the show notes for any links we talked about during this episode. Hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening. See you in the metaverse.